Trying to apologize, you're so ugly when you cry. I wanted to tell you, my Don't dad. Don't tell me you're sorry, cause you're not. My oh, dad sorry. took the picture of you dressed as Pitbull that you signed for him yeah. and put it in his office. And friend? he said he's had three clients come in and think it's actually Pitbull. And my dad said, <laughs> yeah, no Pitbull. My whole thing was like, I asked him, like, nobody asked about, because it's a picture of you dressed as Pitbull with Finn, your dog, in your hand. And it's I asked him, I'm like, did, yeah, I'm like, did anybody, did anybody ask you why is Pitbull holding a dog? It's a Pitbullception. I think it's pretty clear. It's Pitbull holding a Pitbull. Only you would sign a picture for my dad of you dressed as Pitbull. Don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. So once this podcast like goes up in flames and both of us find ourselves out of a job, yeah. um, I want this to be the final seconds of our existence on the airwaves. That would be the end for us. That plays us off. If we're walking into the sunset. Yeah, it would be our swan song. Yeah. Okay. So our swan song. So did we get privately fired and we're saying we're just retiring or how does our, how does our end happen? Just, it's probably going to be me. <laughs> As they whisk me away in handcuffs for whatever I said or did, this song will be playing in the background. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to the second annual my birthday podcast episode of two gods and a goose my birthday man yeah i mean you can do what you want on your 60th birthday when's the aarp card it is not my 60th birthday but nonetheless it is my birthday another year older huh (laughs) you getting a cake you getting getting a cake or are you getting that cake do you think this is man it's my birthday uh we are back we've been on hiatus for uh another extended edition or extended vacation i guess for the holidays Season two, season yeah, two. it is. Season two, episode one, right? Yeah. Season two, mm-hmm. uh, so we are back. We got a lot to cover today, a lot of cool guests. Couple you cool have guests, been yep. annoying me all day today. Well, I mean, you've been mm-hmm. annoying me. You came and visited me before Christmas, so you've been annoying me straight for about a month. Uh, that's course. how I know usually that the podcast is going to be good if you're annoying the hell out of me. So I've got my my uh, my beverage of choice. It is a a surly beer, which is a local brewery here in Minnesota. Um, it's called a Cynic Belgian style pale ale. So we have some NBA okay, to talk. Sorry. We're going to yeah. talk some uh, NFL playoffs, but we can only start in one place on this episode. Uh, that is Stephen A. Smith ending the government shutdown. I have an announcement to make, and it's very very important. It's very very important. And the Bamani Jones and Pablo and everybody out there, stop laughing at me. I'm serious. I'm serious. I have an announcement to make, and it's very important, and I'm going to say this to America right now. I am a straight punk. I'm going to repeat that. I'm a straight punk, okay? I have no guts. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm a chicken. I'm quack, quack, quacking every single hour. Every time I see these damn reports about this, I mean, the the stuff with federal employees and the shutdown and and TSA workers with attitudes and people not getting paid. And then I see these reports about these planes that have been delayed because it's not enough air traffic controllers. I mean, damn it. I I don't know about the rest of y'all. I'm scared as hell. I, I, I look. I'm in New York City. 
Hey, Jonathan, Jonathan Winston, my producing trainer. You find, I think, I think, because it's been a long time since I've done that, but I think Atlanta is about a 14-hour drive from New York City. Y'all, look, y'all, y'all, please, Steve about to drive. Steve, Stephen A about to drive. I'll be damned. I ain't, look, I'm a straight punk. Ain't nothing about doing bra- no, bravery. Ain't got a damn thing to do with anything when you 30,000 feet in the air. Hey, Bomani Jones is sitting up there in the laughing. You go ahead, you keep laughing at me. I don't blame you. I don't blame I'd laugh at me too. I, I don't know how y'all doing this. Look, man, ESPN needs to rent a bus. I mean, something. Hey, you gotta do something. What that, the, the, the President Trump, what's up? Nancy Pelosi, what's up? Even understand how everybody walking around laughing like this is a big deal. Look, man, you 30,000 feet in the air. Tell me what can you do? Tell me what you could do. I mean, if there's ever an opportunity where I'd invite being shot is if I was 30,000 feet in the air. And I know I'm going down. Nah, kill me. I heard, I heard that on his show earlier today, and I was like, nah, it's gonna, you know, we have a lot to talk about NBA, NFL, but I'm like, nah, we have to start there. Stephen A. Smith is a national hero today. Yeah, he single-handedly ended the shutdown. Single-handedly. I mean, he's done a lot of great things on ESPN, had a lot of great opinions. Ending a government shutdown that lasts 30 plus days is incredible. And they weren't anywhere near ending the shutdown. And then Stephen A. Smith went on the radio today in a marvelous two and a half minute, two minute, whatever that was, a minute and a half, two minute WWF promo. There's a lot of people that don't dig what Stephen A. Smith does. Stephen A. Smith is the best part of sports radio. He is a WWF heel wrestler from the 90s. That promo was outstanding. Like, I would love to have the confidence and swagger that Stephen A. has. Hairline is. And the hairline. Honestly. It really is. So, Stephen A. Smith, uh, we salute you. We thank you. Uh, All the government employees that are now back to work, now making money, they salute you. Uh, Today is Stephen A. Smith Day moving forward. Respect to God. Let's transition. Uh, We don't talk a lot of NFL on this show, but I figure we kind of needed to talk some NFL with it being the conference championship round. And then... Ah, the NBA news, it never stops. According to the Scoop NBA, the Miami Heat have contacted the New Orleans Pelicans about the availability of point guard Drew Holiday. And that's per Michael Anthony from the Scoop NBA. In other news, a mom who gave birth in her car to a baby named Adam Baum was arrested for meth. How about that? Drew Holiday, Miami Heat. Uh, How so about that? there's been outrage on the end of the Saints and the Rams game, uh, specifically from the city of New Orleans. I'm not going to. It's, it's not a secret on the show. If people that have listened to the show, everyone knows I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan. I'm doing the air quotes with the fan because they just it's a broken marriage and they bring me so much misery the majority of the time. So, you know, in this situation, I was obviously heavily you know, I was wearing my L.A. Rams shirt. I was an L.A. Rams fan. The Saints, we couldn't have them going to the Super Bowl in Atlanta, in my stadium, practicing in my practice facility. But I got to tell you, the end of that game, first off, the officiating this weekend in the NFL was, you know, not their best weekend. I mean, that's fair to say. But the end of the Saints-Rams game, you know, had a lot of controversy. I wanted to kind of get your two cents on this. Being a, a Lions fan, I don't even know if you know what good football is. First of all, football is a dying sport. Um, and second of all, um, 
I thought it was par for the course because the NFL has always been cheating. They've always wanted the big markets to get into the Super Bowl, and that's exactly what happened. This, of course, they're not going to have New Orleans get to the Super Bowl. They're going to want LA, and they're going to want Boston. If you thought anything different, you're a fool. Attention has been drawn to the NFL for good reason. Um, you know, the, the call was blatant. It was wrong. But that's exactly what they wanted. This is probably one of our first times I've gone to you for um, analysis of football, and you are going to ride the conspiracy theory train. That's the train you're going to ride on this? I mean, what else do you call? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the New England Patriots. They're, of course, going to make it. No matter what happens in the regular season, they're going to make it. That's just the way it is. Not that they're any better than any other team that was competing with them. Chiefs are a really good team. They competed well. You know what happened? In overtime, you know who didn't get the ball and who did? And the rules are rigged in such a way that that allows that cheating to take place. Of course, they're not going to allow Mahomes and that high-powered offense to get the ball first and then score and then not allow Brady a chance to come back. The high-powered offense couldn't outscore them in regulation. The refs are on their side, too. On the Patriots side, everybody's a Patriots fan in the in the so NFL office. So you think that the, the Brady drives ratings, even though you literally look at everything that you know they run polls on people that want the Patriots to win, and it's literally the whole country against the Patriots, and little part up in the corner, Boston, Massachusetts, that area, Connecticut, they are for the Patriots. But in your mind, they want Brady in because Brady drives the ratings. But that hate of the Patriots drives the ratings, right? Like everybody will tune in to a Patriots game to try and see them lose. Sure, Chiefs and Rams or Chiefs and Saints would have been a great Super Bowl, very entertaining. But there wouldn't have been that storyline of Brady being the GOAT and, you know, at age, whatever, 42, 43, trying to win a Super Bowl at that age and everybody trying to knock him off that that pedestal. That that storyline wouldn't have been there had had the game not ended the way it did. And also, the game wouldn't have ended the way it did in the Saints and the Rams if the NFL didn't care about having like Sean McVay, which is a young, up-and-coming coach going up against Bill Belichick, who has been the staple of success for the next for the past 20 years in the NFL. They wanted that. If you thought anything different, you're a fool. You're falling into the trap of the NFL. Everything is rigged. It's one game. Everything is rigged. It's already I didn't know baked. where this was going to go. Happens. Uh, you know, I think there was multiple calls in the Saints-Rams game. Saints fans are going to say, oh, it was the end of that game, and the pass interference affected the game, and sure, we can live in that world. We, if we're going to live in that world, we also need to live in the world where there was a face mask on the Rams that was missed that would have put the Rams up by four, and the Saints wouldn't have been able to kick a field goal. The game wasn't fourth and goal at that point, and Breeze got the ball just like Brady did in overtime, and he turned it over when Brady went down the field and scored a touchdown and took his team to the Super Bowl. That's where I was thinking we were going to go with this, right? And I kind of wanted to, you know, throw a little shade on the Saints. But this whole sham NFL conspiracy theorist uh, character, I'm enjoying this way more. I mean, okay, football is a dying sport. Of course, they're going to want to maximize ratings for everybody. I'm guilty of it. As soon as the Lions were done, I was kind of done with football. But then once Brady started winning, we're like, okay, so no, you were like, done are we going to see this guy in the Super so Bowl So you were done again? with football in week two? <laughs> So, yeah, so I was looking for, for Brady to be in the Super Bowl because it would have kept ratings high and it would have kept my interest. And a, and a lot of people would have lost interest had it been a not like a, an anti-Brady Super Bowl because they want to see him win again or they want to see him get knocked off by the, so young, who, by the young guns. Let's ask sham conspiracy theorist, who wins the Super Bowl? Who, who 
It's all pre it's all predetermined according to you. So who who wins the Super Bowl? No, no, it's predetermined. Oh, the Super Bowl is anybody, anybody's and game. The Super Bowl. So you're saying it's, it's all predetermined. Pro. When do they do this? Do they, do they yes. have a meeting in the summer? Do they go to a lake? Do they go? Building up to for, for people to watch the Super Bowl, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. People are going to be tuning in to the Super Bowl to see the matchup. Who cares about the ending? The ratings don't matter after the Super Bowl. People care about tuning in to see who's in the Super do Bowl. Do they have a meeting in the summer the to Bowl. set all this stuff up? Where do they go? Is it in a lair? It's all hush. Does Roger Goodell, Roger hush Goodell hush. go to a lair? Does he have a does he have a, a castle? Yeah, and it's probably in Boston. So it's going to be the Rams and the Patriots. So it's anybody's game according to Sham, comma, conspiracy theorist. The other NFL thing that was that was the story of the weekend to me. Everybody was talking Saints. They were talking, you know, the end of the Saints Rams. They were talking, you know, the Brady did it again. I was talking Tony Romo. Is this guy, he, is he getting close to John Madden territory as an announcer? Because he is outstanding as an announcer. I think he is terrible as an announcer. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Because watching the game from, from, like from a fan's perspective, the most interesting thing that keeps me glued to the television set is the element of surprise. And seeing, okay, what are they going to do next? What's, what is Bill Belichick thinking? What is Sean McVay thinking? What... What does that audible mean? What is this, that? Like, what I, is Roger like, I want to constantly thinking? be thinking when I watch the game. It's all predetermined. Uh, it's all predetermined who gets the Super Bowl and that. And, th- and then after that point, it's, it's, you know, free for all. But my, but my point is he's so good at predicting what the calls are going to be because he's played in the league for so long and he's been a, he's a smart quarterback. He knows what he's talking about. That's all fine and dandy, but you can keep that to yourself. Like when the broadcast, like I don't want to know if it's going to be a zone run to the right or left. Um, before it happens, I want to see it happen. I want to see is that is that what's going to happen? He's right most of the time. But He's I right wa- the I majority of the time. Uh, the best part about Tony Romo as an announcer is you hear the pure excitement. He really is like you know fans. We always talk about it. Fans are morons for the most part. He is like a fan that is actually intelligent, that actually knows the game. If you invited somebody over to your Super Bowl party and and every other play is like, oh, they're in a you know. Man to man cover two, and they're gonna Brady's gonna throw a pass up the middle, or they're gonna run to the right. I would hate that dude. I'd, let me just watch the game in peace. Why do you have to spoil everything for me? Like, sure, you might know football, but why do you have to tell me with every play what it's gonna be? Like, I don't care to know what it's gonna be. I would be. get I would that watch, person. I would enjoy the beer. game. I would. I would get that guy an extra beer, honestly. Romo. If he was at my Super Bowl party. Romo is smart. He's good at producing games, but keep it to yourself, bro. Like, I just want to be surprised. I want to enjoy the game. That guy is never tolerated in any other aspect of life, except for football, apparently. Romo. Tony. More like phony Romo. This NFL turn where you've turned into basically sham, comma, conspiracy theorist, and you're anti-fun, basically, at this point. I'm enjoying this character. I like this character a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll have to jump into the NFL again after the Super Bowl. And I, I want more from this character. The NBA news. One more. This is a big one. The Orlando Magic. Good team. Much better than previous years. Will once again be looking to add a point guard this trade deadline. Not next. This trade deadline. And they're using center Nikola Vucevic. As trade bait. However, a Western Conference executive believes the Magic are, quote, too inept to make a move. 
And that's from uh, Chris Collins from The Scoop NBA. Um, in, in other news, a woman was arrested for dancing naked in a Waffle House uh, let's parking Let's transition lot. to the NBA. This is a, an area we're, mu- we're much more comfortable in. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about. We have some NBA uh, you know, guests on coming up, so we're going to get into all that stuff you know, a little bit more in depth in a little bit. But I want to touch on a couple things, get your two cents on things. Since we were away, we obviously know last summer um, DeMarcus Cousins signs with Golden State. He has now... You know, come back in a year from a from a devastating Achilles injury, uh, and he looks like you know he didn't even take any time off. He's come back to Golden State. They have not lost yet. They look completely unstoppable. They look, mind you, they looked completely unstoppable before, but now just they're on another level. Uh, wanted to get your two cents on that because they they are just they just look like they're just going to run. I mean, they may not lose the rest of the year. I think one of my biggest fears of of Boogie going to the Golden State Warriors, and this is such a dumb fear because he's such a talented player in so many ways. Um, one of my fears was that he was going to stop the ball a lot because in previous stops he kind of was relied upon to to produce a lot of offense and to kind of put it in the post and whatnot, like just kind of run the offense through him. And I don't think that would have really you know, flown in Golden State because there are so many other offensive options. I mean, he had been, he's, he's the fourth option on that team. I was worried to see how that fit would have been. Watching the few games that he has played, he has been like the, the guy that does all the dirty work. He has been setting like mean screens. And I, I mean, like making so much space for Clay Thompson, Steph Curry and company to just operate. And his big body has just been walling people off. And also he's, he has been, uh, kind of just beating people up. He's been, I, I, I think he's fouled out or gotten close to fouling out in two or three games now. So he's just that enforcer. And that's kind of what I think they needed because Draymond has kind of, he's still a great defender. He's still that spark plug on that end, but he's just not the guy to like set a mean screen on somebody and create space for somebody, help others, uh, you know, succeed in that, like in that regard. And I, and I, and I think that requires a certain kind of player and, that's what Andrew Bogut was back when he was uh, playing with Golden State. That's what Zaza is uh, now, and that's what he was when he was playing in Golden State. I think the Warriors needed that player, and I'm glad they got him, and I'm glad that such a talented player has kind of molded his mindset and role to fit what they need. He's found a role, and he's really kind of settled into it, and that's what I think, like, really, that's what they needed. And this will be another coast. Uh, there's a couple things I look at on this. I don't know what he hasn't been able to do yet. I mean, he pretty much looks like the same player he's been his entire career. Obviously, he's not going to get the usage rate at, in Golden State and, you know, the usage rate in Oakland that he got in Sacramento or even in New Orleans playing next to AD. The thing that I that I noticed is just, you know, you're talking about a team that for the rest of us, please don't give them any more space. And now the shooters are just getting more space. And for Boogie, it's a win-win for him because he's not going to see a double cover, you know, the rest of the year, this entire year. He's not going to, in, in Oakland, he is not going to see a double right. come for him, period. You can't double him in Golden State. So from that aspect, they literally have no weaknesses at this point. And the, their only real weakness is like that bench unit. Steve Kerr has done a great job with staggering their players to kind of keep some offense on the floor at all times. Sure, they don't have a bench, but they're staggering minutes. Like you said, Steve Kerr is... He's running Clay and uh, Boogie on the second unit. So they they have two of those guys. When you start five All-Stars in your starting lineup, you can stagger those minutes. So there's two All-Stars on the floor at the whole time. So, And mind you, a guy like DeMarcus Cousins has always been a heavy usage guy. So he's he welcomes the ball in that second unit. And, and 
it adds another element to a team that likes to run. Now they have the ability to slow down and stop and grind you. So they they may not lose another game the rest of the year, honestly. Uh, the second thing I wanted to touch on with the NBA, you know, it's kind of been a development since our last um, episode where we were talking Houston and we've had our differences on Houston in the past. But Houston was in trouble on our last broadcast. They've kind of turned it around since. But, you know, they've lost Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been down for a while now. They lost uh, Clint Capella, their big man. But James Harden and what he's done in the last 10, 12, 13 games I mean, I, I don't have his statistics in front of me, but I mean, he's averaging close to 40 points a game. You know, he's been an absolutely insane scorer and he's doing most of it. This is the mind boggling thing. He's doing most of it unassisted. He's literally winning games by himself. He's going one on five a lot of nights and winning games by himself. And they're winning a lot of these games. My question for you is how significant is this? Even in a new NBA where, you know, scoring, everybody's scoring and, you know, the games are, you know, to see a team put up 140, 150 in a night is not a big deal. But how significant is this historically? And then at the same time, is he going to run out of gas at some point, in your opinion? So what James Harden has been doing has been incredible. I mean, he's putting up video game numbers, um, you know, assist, uh, points, rebound. He's literally doing it all. Um, He put up, what, 61 the other night. Um, but he need he needs to because if you look at who's on the floor with him, they're not guys that can really create their own or or are real threats. The second and third option on that team, Chris Paul and Clint Capella, are both out with injuries, so he kind of has to shoulder the load. And a lot of his attention is actually creating opportunities for others. He needs to do all this in order for them to be competitive. And if you look at the way they've been winning games, it's not like they've been smashing people. They've been barely winning games. His style of play sometimes rubs people the wrong way, obviously. But I don't think even his biggest critic can deny the score that this dude is. So my thing is, if you look historically at the game of basketball, is he going to go down as a top five-ish scorer ever is what he's doing right now. Is it that historic when you really look at the history of the game and the great scores that have come along? Well, it just depends on how you look at the whole free throw stuff, you know? Like, I know he gets a lot of criticism for how he's able to draw foul holes and the way he's called and whatever, and some of that is warranted, some of them is not. It's almost one of those don't hate the player, hate the game type things because he's learned how to manipulate the game of basketball in a way that no one else is able to do exactly. and no one else is able to stop. Why are we hating him for that? And that's why I would elevate him to a top five score in uh, uh, of all time. Just the way he's been doing it like, ever since he got to Houston until Chris Paul and less so Clint Capella have kind of grown into like second and third options. He's really been carrying the load this entire time. If you look at the roster that he took, uh, you know, deep in the playoffs, his first and second season in Houston, You'll be like, how, like, without James Harden, this team would be like a lottery team. And it's incredible to see one person carry the load so much and, and put up those kind of numbers, but he needs to for, for that team to win. It's going to be a basketball heavy show. Uh, we apologize in advance for those of you that look to the show for our food takes and our uh, ice cream and our hot dog eatings and all paper eatings and all the nonsense. This is going to be a sports heavy show. So we're going to get into a lot of NBA today. But the last thing I want to touch on with you is the LeBron James injury in Los Angeles. Obviously, the best player in the game. Uh, the Lakers were rolling. I think they were six or seven above 500 before he went down uh, on Christmas Day. 
since then they've been well below 500. They're really, really struggling. Uh, and in the West, you talk about one to maybe 10 or 11, thinking you go to the 10 seed or 11 seed, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, to find a below 500 team in the West. There's literally no easy games in the West. So the impact of this LeBron James injury, obviously we don't need to talk about what this, you know, what this shows as far as LeBron's impact on any team. This guy, I've long said, he can go to any team tomorrow. You could spin a wheel of any team in the NBA, the worst teams, put LeBron James on there. They are immediately a deep playoff team immediately. So we don't need to talk about that. He should be the MVP. He should have been the 17 running, 17 years in a row running MVP at this point if we really were, were, uh, judging by impact and total MVP of the team. But I want to really talk about the impact on this injury in the Lakers, you know, right now and where this, where this can shift them for the playoffs. Now that we're over half, half a season in, are the Lakers in significant trouble with this LeBron James injury? This might be a hot take, but their best case scenario might be getting an eight seed because the the issue with LeBron James as he goes through the playoffs is that he gets fatigued. And you can tell by the end of it, especially that last year in Cleveland, you can tell by the end of it, he is just giving everything he has to beat whatever team is in his way. Now, if the Lakers, which I think is, is perfectly attainable even with the like the current cast of characters uh on that team, I think if they can get the eighth seed and face the Warriors in first round. I think there's kind of a good chance that LeBron could kind of upset them because he'll be getting them fresh, not going to the ringer. There's a little bit of a break in between the end of the season and the first round. And this might be the best case scenario because he wouldn't have had to go through the ringer to then face the Golden State Warriors, which are the best team in the league. So in terms of facing them and getting past that hump, this might be the best case scenario of getting the eighth seed and then facing them first round. Then the question comes is, okay, well, are they going to get the eighth seed? Now, if you look at the teams around them, the Clippers, the Kings, the Spurs, all these teams, like these are teams that they could easily pass. Like they're, they're good teams, but LeBron James plus Lakers team right now is at least an eighth seed. Don't let anyone let it slide through the, through the, the cracks that you literally said right there. And you were sneaky, but I know your, I know your, I know your thing and what you do. You literally insinuated right there that the Lakers could potentially upset the Warriors in the first round. There's zero chance of that happening. The well, bigger that's not thing blasphemous. that you did make me I mean, think that's in not, that, that's in, not crazy. In your little rant right there was: Would it be the worst case scenario? Now, mind you, I am on record, and I and I I feel very strongly about this that the Lakers, I think they would be favored, if not favored, they certainly have the ability to be any other team, any team in the West, not named Golden State. Four out of seven games, LeBron James. They may not be favored against certain teams. You look at the top of the the conference. You, you might not get them favored in that series, but they they are a hundred percent capable of beating any team in the West not named Golden State. Now, what you just made me think of is really a plot twist in this whole thing. If they are looking at the future, and LeBron, you said right there, he's very much in the the part of his career where he's picking his spots, right? Is it in their best interest to potentially get an eight seed, lose in the first round of the Warriors, and LeBron has that less that seven, eight weeks less playoff tread on his tires going into next year? Because the, the chances of them 
they have a better than not chance of landing somebody this 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 summer that could be a significant piece to help him. Is it in their best interest, in his best interest, long term, for them to have a quick exit in the playoffs this year? I think you try and win as as many games as possible in the playoffs. You don't focus on extra rest. I mean, at that point, whether it's in a couple of weeks or not, but the the reward of making it deep in the playoffs is more than is is worth more to me and probably LeBron as well. Um, then, uh, the extra couple weeks of rest that you would get from, from being a quick exit. And let me clarify what I was saying. Golden State, of course, would be favored, heavily favored against the Lakers. But if you were the Lakers and you had to choose no, when I- to face the Warriors, wouldn't you want to face them right away when you're fresh? As opposed to going through the ringer of a playoff and then face them, if let's I'm say, the Lakers, the I Conference don't Finals. want to face Golden State. That's what I'm trying That's- to say is you'd want to face them right away. Of course, of course not. But but say you had to, you'd want to face them while you're fresh, because the only thing that would really stand in the way of you beating them is one talent, but two, uh, fatigue, and that's what we've seen with yeah. LeBron. Like LeBron's playing forty plus and minutes. And I think on the flip side, Golden State, they're look with Boogie, and without him, the team creators. And, and you kind of get the feeling like this might be their last run as the current constructed, you know, with Durant and and the whole crew. They don't want to see LeBron ever because we've seen LeBron win, you know, games from gold, take finals games from Golden State simply by himself, you know. Um, so I don't think Golden State wants to see them, but I think it is definitely interesting to think if the Lakers are long term, which is all that Magic and LeBron have said, you know, patience and, and not wanting to blow up, which to me, it, they, they kind of view their young core as much better than I think the rest of us view them as. But, but trying to stay the course and go, okay, this is for the coming years. Those couple, six, seven weeks of hard, especially with the, the, the gauntlet he'd have to go through in the West. Now, I, mind you, I still have them as a potential conference finals team. I think they're still going to land in the four or five seed in the West. I think LeBron is that good. Um, and, and the difference between three and nine or 10 in the West is not significant from, for the most part. Uh, so, you know, I still have them at that point, but it is, it is a really interesting thing to think. If you live in the world where their patience, you know, patience is everything and we're looking for long term and we're trying to make another splash this summer, put ourselves in a place to compete for a championship next year. It is an interesting thought to think an early playoff exit this summer for or this you know, coming summer for LeBron, that extra rest, that extra, you know, that'll be the first summer in how long that he hasn't went to the conference finals, what hasn't went to the NBA finals. Doesn't have to go through that Portland, Oklahoma City, Denver, Utah gauntlet that is the Western Conference because in the East he's really kind of had a float. He's kind of been able to float to the Conference Finals. That's an interesting thing. If you live in the world of, and I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting the tank or everyone's going to go out and try to win a bunch of games, but if they do in a competitive West get that eight seed and happen to match up with Golden State in the in the first round, that may not be the worst case scenario for the Lakers with the mindset of patience, everything that Magic and them have said. The NBA news, it never stops. We got rumors on rumors on rumors. Lakers forward LeBron James, we're just talking about him, wow, was reportedly quote-unquote touched by Kyrie Irving calling him and apologizing. A Western Conference executive had told me, courtesy of Chris Collins, uh, he's heard whispers of Kyrie signing with the LA Lakers this summer. Uh, that's courtesy of the Scoop NBA. In other news, a subway employee has put her bare feet 
on a food counter, and now the health department is investigating. That's courtesy of Yahoo.com. Feed, huh? More podcast hates us because they ain't us. Bad takes, bad takes. Come get your bad takes. Oh, you want a bad take, little boy? Well, here's one for you. Zion Williamson will be a bust. Bad takes, bad takes. Come get your bad takes. Oh, hi there, little girl. You want a bad take? Here you go. Anthony Davis will be a Los Angeles Clipper. Bad takes, bad takes. Come get your bad takes. Uh, my name is uh, Gary G. Brockenheimer. I'm a uh, I'm a NBA blogger, uh, and I also make my own spreadsheets. And you are listening to uh, this is two two gods and a goose uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, it's very efficient, and uh, you're going to really like it. So we got Cole Zwicker on with us, co-founder of The Stepian. That's how you pronounce it, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, because I know there were some big wigs that pronounced it incorrectly that you were trying to name drop earlier. So uh, I'm going to let you talk about that, <laughs> and you can plug your stuff in the meantime. Yeah, so check out thestepian.com. We got a rare national TV shout-out recently. One of our writers, Jackson Hoy, wrote a piece about John Morant, and he's been blowing up recently. I think ESPN has him like second or third on their mock now. Small-town guy, or I should say small team guy from Murray State and uh, Bomani dropped him on his show and that was pretty oh, cool. Oh man, um, big time. Uh, Bomani Jones. I like how he didn't even say like the, like, the full yeah, name. He didn't even like, oh, yeah, the whole name. He just Bomani. Bomani. Man, you know, my friend Bomani just talked about my, my site. And no big deal. Oh, guys. There you go. He's on a first name basis now. You, know. you guys are the ones that have met him. So I this is my only engagement with him. So I'll let you guys take that away. <laughs> uh, kind of tell people about the Stepian thing. I know you're, you're big on, on the draft and that type of stuff, but kind of explain you know what you do and what the site does and you know kind of let the listeners know all about it sure yeah so we started this up last november it's a draft oriented site so we write about young prospects in the nba but mostly our focus is on college basketball some international basketball and high school ranks we don't do mock drafts we're not intel based we're kind of just like a bunch of guys who just love basketball and we started writing about the draft a while back for different sites and then decided to merge so the step in is basically just us chiming in with big board analysis at times but mostly it's just independent analysis that's not really governed by any kind of source so i'm going to use all that like because you you've kind of studied these prospects left and right you have a lot of film on these prospects a lot of analysis on these prospects so i know one prospect that's kind of been you know he's kind of gone viral in the past few years and now he's finally uh you know this year will be eligible for the draft and he most likely will be the first uh first pick in the draft i just want to talk about zion williamson he's Hey, listen, Shane, get to your question. You got a question, you're lining it up. I know, up. but I want to build it up. I want to build it up. Okay. Just ask cool. the question, man. Cool. So let's say you're in a basketball, like just, just on a basketball court with Zion Williamson, just you and him, right? He is running from one end of the court to the other. And your job, Cole, is to take a charge from Zion Williamson. Not to block it, not to step out of the way, not to do whatever. <laughs> your job is to set your feet and take that charge and Assuming that you'll get really hurt, but you won't have to go to the hospital or anything, nothing like, you know, damaging. Uh, how much money would you need to be paid to do that once? And it wouldn't be like, like, a, like, a, you know, like, oh, he kind of clips you. Like he straight up just trucks you and dunks on you, but you get the charge. How much money would you need in your pocket in order to do that? <laughs> 
No, that's a great question. I, I, I'm glad you went there with that because otherwise it would have been I'm making a damn business decision and a really right, easy exactly. one to make. I'm getting the hell out. But uh, that's really interesting, man. Probably like a thousand or something. Well, only <laughs> a you're thousand. Getting by, you're getting hit by yeah. a freight train. I mean, that's got to be the same as getting in a car crash or something. We've seen all those studies. Not to take like a super serious angle on this, but all the studies about like getting hit in the NFL, it's got to be like that times at least five because Zion is a freaking freight train at 285 pounds. And you're getting bows. I imagine you're getting elbows. You're getting hit by God knows <laughs> what. I mean, you are literally just eating it. Whatever. I like how the goalpost, the goalpost was originally take a charge. Now he's moving the goalpost to you're getting elbows thrown at you. It's happening from. Yeah, different- we're gonna, we're raising the price now. I mean, if we're getting yeah. elbows and we're getting that, if it's going into that, it's got to it's got to. Because you don't know, bit, right? <laughs> I mean, if of he's course. like he's he's aiming to dunk on you, like he tries to dunk on everybody, but you need to be in that position, and you don't know what's going to hit you. It could be a, you know, it could just be a chest to the face kind of deal, or it could be like an elbow to the face, you know, just completely trucks you over. But a thousand dollars is your starting price, right? Yeah, I mean, that's basement bargain price. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty bargain rate, actually, for Zion. I mean, if he drops the shoulder, you're in the hospital. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the whole thing with Zion, you know, to kind of to kind of get serious for a second with, with, with respect to him is, you know, he's kind of been a phenom. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's kind of like something we haven't seen, you know, come along as far as a prospect at that position for a while. Um, I mean, I guess for you, somebody that does this, hype is a crazy thing sometimes with with athletes um especially coming out of you know you know prospects that that have been you know eyes have been on them for a while for you in your personal opinion doing this how high is his actual ceiling i mean what what is he as far as a prospect what is his ceiling what can he do for a team potentially i mean his ceiling is the best player in the nba i mean you rarely see players that are 99th percentile athletes who are skilled like his handles really advanced actually is a bunch of dribble moves he's a great passer great feel on the floor as far as facilitating for others and team defense like making rotations weak side shot blocker and he has competitive fire so when you combine those four elements in a prospect there are only a handful of those guys over the last 20 years so i mean it's all conditioned on the jump shot i mean he can do basically everything else on the floor he can really score you see some people that compare him to draymond green because they like his intellect but he's way better score way better finisher than that so I, I think he's something like superhuman Ben Simmons or kind of like what we wanted Ben Simmons to be, but like a, a bouncier athlete and has much more finishing capacity around the rim. So, I mean, the sky's literally the limit with him. There's not a lot of prospects like that. Like for context, him and Luka Doncic and Ben Simmons are the, my three tier one prospects over the last four years or so. So, I mean, it, it's the floor is high. I think he's going to walk into the league and be a top 40 player in the NBA and the ceiling. If he shoots the ball from three, if he can ever shoot off the dribbling, you have to guard him that way. We've seen that kind of maturation with LeBron, for example. He's not LeBron, but we're talking about someone who can get to that stratosphere, which is just really rare. Do you think his shooting struggles, which I guess would be his only weakness at this point, is that something that's holding him back when you talk ceiling as is right now? Because, you know, a lot of times you see guys that can't shoot or that have, you know, struggle the Ben Simmons, not saying he's Ben Simmons shooting the ball, but guys that tend to struggle with the jump shot, and especially in today's game when the jump shot is so important, does that limit his ceiling a little bit for you? It does. I mean, if he never evolves in his off the dribble shooting, especially like he can't initiate an offense full time. We've seen the effects of that in the playoffs, like a team like Boston Celtics, they'll build a wall and transition. They'll keep you out of those high percentage opportunities. And you can't really, if you can't shoot off the dribble, then you're going to have to play off the ball a little bit more, be used as the screener. He's versatile enough to where he can 
get away with it more than almost any other kind of player. But yeah, if you can't shoot the ball off the dribble from three, especially in the modern game, you're going to be limited a little bit. So, so some of him meet, reaching his ceiling is conditioned on that. Now, I know you had mentioned Luka Doncic as like the tier, like top tier prospects of the past four years. And, and I think a lot of, you know, like leading up to the draft, I would say probably two months before the draft, like, uh, he was the, the clear cut number one. And then kind of as like March Madness took place and the summer kind of progressed, uh, then teams are like, okay, well, uh, let's pick Aiton first and then Trey Young and this and that. So what, what prospect do you see like jumping ahead of Zion possibly? Like what's like, who's that second guy who's, who's, who might, who a team might value higher than Zion or is Zion just, Far and above the number one prospect. I think he's far and above the number one prospect. I think what you saw with Aiton, I think teams always thought that Aiton was the number one guy because he has that kind of athletic paradigm. He's a big, he's, he has all the physical tools. He has the athleticism and reputation and kind of prior knowledge plays a lot, like a huge role in the draft. Like what your pedigree is, what the common assumption of you is. If you take Luka Doncic one and he fails, that looks a lot worse than taking DeAndre Ayton and him failing. So that's kind of, you have to look at it from the lens of it's how kind of groupthink operates as well in the NBA. And I think with Zion, he has that athletic pedigree. Um, so I, I think he goes number one. I don't think there's anybody that jumps him. Like we see John Morant, some sites have him number one now. I, I think that's getting a bit over presumptuous as far as that goes. Like, I don't think that him or RJ and RJ has one of the strongest priors in the draft. He's very high pedigree, a lot of proven ability in FIBA play in like against team USA. I think he had like 38 points against team USA and FIBA play. And then of course, AAU high school, but nobody's good enough to really jump Zion because there's no deficiencies there with his athletic profile, especially, uh, especially now I know like these teams are, you know, like when it comes to draft time, they're at the mercy of the ping pong balls, but what team would you want to see Zion on that would maximize not only his potential, but also like elevate the, that team to a point of, uh, you know, like out of the bottom feeder kind of like tier? Like what, what team would you I, want to see Zion on? I think Atlanta would be awesome just with Trey Young's facilitation playing next to Kevin Herter. I really like that core. I mean, a Trey Young, Zion John pick Collins. and roll. John Collins, exactly. So you could have those two athletes at the four and the five. You can kind of get non-conventional a little bit. That would be fun. Uh, that team, I think holistically makes the most sense for me, but it, like a specific pairing would be Jaron Jackson on Memphis. I think that's the exact kind of player that you want to play Zion next to more of a stretch. I think Jaron's going to slide over to the five full time. He has some rebounding issues Zion helps him there so that four five offensive ability plus defense would just be incredible that'd be one of the best four or five pairings we've seen in the last 20 years no I tend to agree with you on that uh Cole Zwicker with us co-founder Stepien uh he is a draft expert he's already given us some you know a lot of good stuff uh in your opinion uh and you know this is really the 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 guess in every draft I, th I think general managers kind of try to play the guessing game or you know play the prediction game in your opinion, how many game changers are in this class? Is this a is this a deep class? I mean, right now, I would say one, and that's Zion. I don't know. After that, I'm not saying there aren't going to be game changers, but that's kind of the deal with this draft class is we don't know after one. Like, RJ could be, um, I think he's wired like Kobe, but he's not nearly as talented, not nearly the caliber of athlete. I don't know if that's going to translate like some people think. John Morant's getting a ton of publicity. I have some reservations about his game, but he's an incredible passer, the best passer in the draft. Uh, if he gets his jump shot, he can come in and have like a Trey Young effect, but I don't think he's quite that good. So you go down the line, more of these guys are 
very solid players like Cam Reddish, I think, can come in and fill like an Otto Porter Jr. role. But most people wouldn't consider that. And I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Otto Porter. Otto Porter is very good. But on that baseline, it's more of like a off-ball score situational shooter where you can really leverage his gravity off the ball. There just aren't a lot of really true game changers in this draft, in my opinion. But there's a lot of solid players. So speaking to the depth point, there's a lot of wing-sized players in this class. It's just fixating on who's going to pop out of those guys like Kevin Porter Jr. out of USC is tremendously talented um, best live dribble game in the draft he has all the dribble moves but he's in love with step backs he almost never drives we haven't seen him in any kind of high leverage situation this year as far as running pick and roll making decisions so I, I think that a couple of these guys are going to hit it's just right now I don't know who those are going to be now I know like you had mentioned there's only one game changer and that's Zion but you know, game changer, what we think of, you know, today may not actually come to fruition, like come draft time. Now, uh, in the past few years, like, is there one guy that you definitely thought like you were super high on and now like you're like, oh, maybe he's not that great or, you know, uh, maybe he's not as NBA ready as I thought he would be. Is there like that one guy or a couple guys that you can pinpoint? That's a really interesting question. I don't know if I was super high on Brandon Ingram, but I thought he would be better than he was. Like I had Simmons in a completely different tier, so I wasn't one of those people who had Ingram number one on their board. Uh, but he has kind of disappointed me a little bit. I thought he his impact, he would improve his shooting over time and be more of like a less athletic version of Paul George. So him not hitting was a little bit disappointing thus far. I mean, he's clearly still very young and he could still make improvements and stuff. But I think to this level, he hasn't really been that caliber of player. Dennis Smith is another guy. I was just very high on his athleticism as far as translating to the NBA. He was a really, really high-level athlete. And I, I was a bigger believer in his playmaking than I think some people were in college. He has not translated as far as his decision-making goes. He's just been really poor on that end. He, I've kind of learned a lot about how poor point guards translate due to him and, and some of the limitations there, how he's guarded. Nobody ever you know, guards him closely. He doesn't have the threat of a shot. They duck under and pick and roll. And when you have those guys that aren't really dynamic pull-up threats at the lead guard position, they're defended differently. And I think it could kind of mess with them a little bit mentally. I, I wanted to kind of shift the discussion. Obviously, Zion gets, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, talk when you talk draft period, you know, he's a, you know, a game changer, but with the way the NBA's changed, where you know we, we it used to be, oh, the big, the seven footer has athleticism. He's the number one pick every year, whatever. Now, you know, this is a league that's shooting, you know, nine bazillion threes a game. Do you think that the the draft strategy has been affected by the style of play? Now, do you do you see it going? You know, hypothetically, if this is a draft where it's Shaq and there's Steph, a guy like a guy like Steph, it always throughout history has been, oh, you go with the big man, you go with Shaq, number one. Do you see it changing because the NBA, the game has really cha- has really kind of evolved and changed? Do you see it being a, a different thing with prospects now? I think the analysis is going to be different. So on social media, on Twitter, on draft sites, I think you're going to see more of a movement to incorporate modern trends. Like we did that last year on the site. I mean, obviously, you could make an argument in a vacuum that Luka Doncic is the best player. But just as a modern fit, I think he was easily the best modern fit. And then the last trap as far as upside floor, all of that. I don't know if it's going to resonate in the actual NBA, though. I mean, the easiest example is looking at last draft. So like, look at the first two players who were drafted. And they're both bigs who are not great defensive prospects, who are insanely athletic and play finishers. And those are the first two picks. And I think that you're still going to see that trend in the NBA. I don't think the league has incorporated the to the level of modern trends, all of the... It, it kind of seems like during the draft, people kind of forget what just happened in the playoffs, mm. for example. I think, again, last draft was kind of indicative of that. It's almost like 
the playoffs and the, the, all the trends never happen. It's just when you get to the draft, people stick to what they know, and that's like athletic big men first and positional size, all of that stuff. So to answer your question, <laughs> succinctly, I would say it's not going to be incorporated, I don't think, in the NBA as far as at least the top-level prospects. You're still going to see the gravitation towards athleticism because that is the safety net. That is the widely accepted practice and you're not going to get criticized for right. taking a and, play And like you kind of mentioned something there that kind of made me think of, a, of, of something else and it was kind of the evolution of the bigs to kind of fit today's games. You see guys that are basically... You know, you're really looking for the Rudy Gobert's where they can protect the they can protect the rim on on one end, and then they can kind of rim run, do that whole thing. It's not really a league where we're coming in and we're dumping it down to the bigs and looking for easy baskets and that type of stuff. Do you see the evolution of the bigs continuing this way, or do you see it kind of going back to he's still the biggest guy on the court, and he really just needs to run down there and seal you and dunk you on dunk on you? Do you see that evolution continuing? I do. That's the part that I see is going to be a gravitation towards guys who can move in space better. I mean, that's the thing about Aiton and Bagley. Both of them are very mobile. They can play in space. So that would be the defense there. And I do think that I mean, as the pace increases in the NBA, you need guys who can survive on the floor. More of the plotters who can't play pick and roll defense. I think those guys are going to fall a little bit by the wayside, even though a lot of teams are still doing that dropback scheme. We see that with the Bucks and dropping Lopez back, for example. But you're going to see a gravitation towards some bigs who can shoot. Like Lopez is jacking an insane amount of threes this year. And we've incorporated that in our draft analysis. Like we had Jaron Jackson as our number one big last year because he just does everything you want from a modern big. Shoot threes, take guys off the dribble on closeouts, face-up ability. He can also post up secondarily. And then the defense, like you noted, protecting the rim and then versatile defense in space. So that's kind of like what I think the league eventually is going to have to move towards more. But I don't know if it's going to be as quick as like some of the analysis has been so but yeah definitely you're going to see more rim runners more athleticism more space defense we got coles wicker on on with us co-founder of the steppy and um just to finish up last question um are, are there prospects that can be had in the in the uh, late lottery or you know even if they sneak into the playoffs as like an eight seed do you think there are prospects that can be had in the uh in the teens that would actually make an impact on today's game kind of similar to how like donovan mitchell did uh, his rookie year. Do you think it's it's worth it to tank this year or just wait it out and then kind of next year the prospects will come in and be better? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think this draft, you can probably get the second best player in the draft maybe at 12 or 14. It, it, we don't really know. So the there's not as heavily incentivized reasons to tank and get like a top five pick like last year's draft, for example. Like you can get a Jarrett Culver potentially at 10. I think Jarrett Culver can be the second best player in this draft. Six, seven wing out of Texas Tech. You can get a really like Awesome plug and play fit in DeAndre Hunter. I'm looking at a mock draft right now that has him 13 to the Timberwolves. DeAndre Hunter's the best switch defender in the class as far as six, eight wing who can guard definitely three positions. He's a good enough shooter. He can take guys off closeouts. So I think that's what you're talking about. Man, you just hit us with so much material. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, let the people know again where they can find you, where they can read the stuff and get all the, all the draft stuff from you. Uh, let the people know where they can follow you on social media. Give them the whole rundown. Sure. So I have a very original Twitter account at Coldswicker, just my full name. And then uh, check out thestepian.com. We usually have new pieces up there every day. Spencer Perlman, who writes for us, just released his midseason big board. So I think that's our profile headliner right now. So check that out on the Stepian. I also appear on the Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini. So if you don't listen to that, we, we go into draft analysis once a week or so. And he does a lot of other stuff on his podcast with NBA stuff as well. But uh, definitely worthwhile checking out. Oh, God. And the Goose Podcast.
Podcast. All right, you know what we do. You know how we end each and every show. My dad's favorite segment on the show, the show where the part of the show where my partner stands up and flexes and does push-ups. Can you, can you, yep, he's, he's flexing for the FaceTime right now. He is ready to go. It is called Ask Sham. Hashtag Ask Sham on Twitter. That's where you send us the question. Sham, are you ready to go? It's been, uh, it's been a couple months since you've done Ask Sham. Do you remember how this all goes? I do. And I was born ready. Let's hit that intro. And now it's time for Ask Sham. Question number one. Tiki Barber and Joe Montana have both become investors recently in legal marijuana companies. Are you next, Sham? I was the original. I've been investing in illegal marijuana. Does Roger Stone look like the skinny penguin, the arch nemesis of Batman? Roger Stone is fat. Is Canada Goose losing its luster? The goose will always live on. It will never lose its luster. And if it if it does, just look at that hair and it's nice and shiny. And hot take use. If you're stranded on an island, would you rather have a toothbrush or toilet paper? I'd rather have a toilet brush. Does Roger Stone look like the evil toy Santa in Tim Allen's uh, Santa Claus 2? I've never seen that movie, but I love Tim Allen, so I'm a big proponent of that. How long should a guy last? At least 30 seconds. Uh, DMX is free. Are you excited, champ? He's always been free on Spotify. Uh, have you always been this way? No, actually, you know what? I grew up a very um, a soft-spoken kid. Um, in the cold streets of Detroit. Antonio Brown to the 49ers. Good move, Sham. Antonio Brown to the CFL is a better move. Uh, our friend Brendan Welper had a question, uh, but it was a stupid question. So I just wanted to ask, did you see that the goose said about Brendan's hairline on Twitter? What hairline? Do you eat paper for fun, Sham? I eat W's for fun. Uh, Valenti, Val- Valentini, v- whatever his name is, versus our boy, the Roof Killer. Rod Beard in the octagon. Who you got, Sham? Definitely Rod Beard. You've never seen his fist. He got fists of fury. He will dominate Mike Valenti. That is Ask Sham. Hashtag Ask Sham on Twitter. Uh, that is the show today. Sham, what do you think about ah, today? The NBA news. Oh, it never stops. Okay. Oh, my gosh. This is a big one. After a struggling start to Mo Bamba's rookie season, Jeff Weltman is concerned that GM John Hammond fell into the hype of Mo Bamba by Sheck West during the draft process. Uh, the team has not ruled out the possibility of trading him this season. More to come later. And that is courtesy of Michael Anthony of the Scoop NBA. And around the world, a crucified Ronald McDonald sculpture sparks protests in Israel. And that is courtesy of the Huffington Post. How about that, huh? Ronnie Mickey. How about that? Crucified. Israel. Didn't even know they had Ronald McDonald there. Oh, it was Rabbi McDonald. That is episode one, season two. Uh, if you checked into season two and you aren't familiar with what happened with season one, uh, welcome to the clown show. Sham, what'd you think about today's show? Definitely top 10 in season two. <laughs>